At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Are you trying to find the perfect distribution platform to get your music on Spotify and Apple? I personally use and love DistroKid. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash DistroKid to get a small discount and get access to a platform with unlimited uploads for a yearly fee. Happy uploading and enjoy the show. One, two, three. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, is Limiter Lou. <laughs> I think we did Limitless Lou once. I, I guess. L1 That's what I was kind of thinking. I was like, all right. I really, we, I really do not spend any time thinking about these nicknames. <laughs> no, we, we literally have emails full of them. And I should have pulled a single one of them up, and I didn't. But uh, anyway, welcome back to the podcast. Um, if you're not aware, all of these podcast episodes are on YouTube. Well, most of them are on YouTube, and we are currently live on Twitch as well. Um, on Twitch, you can find us at twitch.tv backslash dkmixes, D-E-E-K-E-I mixes. Um, where you can follow us and get updated on whenever we go live. We usually start live streaming the podcast uh, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, yeah, and we take questions from the audience. We talk to people, kind of get to know everybody, uh, and we answer as many questions as we can on and off the actual recording of the podcast. Um, so we welcome anybody that's here listening to right now. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. All right, so uh, we have a good question today this came in from a uh an dm on instagram to me a kid named brandon uh brandon bustamante I, i'm i probably butcher that does he know how to bust a move <laughs> so brandon asked uh real briefly um I don't know if I've missed it, but on the podcast we should you should do a podcast on careers in the music industry other than mixing so we're going to talk about that a little bit and talk about different careers and different options that you could pursue. Um, a little preface here. Lou and I are very deeply into the commercial music aspect of the industry. Um, I'm not deeply involved in film and TV with composing and video games and uh, other in parts of the industry. We know we have a pretty good understanding and grasp of that, but we're going to keep this pretty light just because we don't have as much of an understanding. Like, I don't really know the details of what a re-recording mixer is in the film and TV world, but I know that position exists and kind of the general understandings of it. So we'll kind of go into that. I think this is really good for anybody that's seeking a career in music. And then we'll kind of break down if this is usually like a salaried uh union paid thing or if it's usually like a freelance thing and, and things of that and what you can kind of expect throughout your career 
both because uh, like some of these job positions um, are really really boring and because of that they pay really well and boring is very subjective so like for example uh, something that is pretty universally boring I believe is like dialogue editing where you just like cut out the breaths and <laughs> cut out breaths and just really just dial in dialogue for film and TV that sounds really boring to me and apparently it's really mind numbing and you just have to do like th- hundreds and hundreds of edits in a single dial it's crazy. So, um, so we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. Let's first start off with what we do know, which is uh, we'll call it like the commercial music industry. Like we're here to make records for Grammys, for top forty, just in general, making music for the sake of the craft for for music. Um, and obviously, it ranges from genre to genre, and from from country to country, even. Uh, but typically speaking. Uh, the three main positions for that we're most familiar with that we talk often a lot about are are um, recording engineers, mixing engineers, mastering engineers. Lou, uh, can you um, talk about some expectations for each one and kind of like how usually uh, the careers in those positions usually progress? Sure. Um, I like to think of it as stages on each one, as I've met a lot of people who kind of want to jump into one or the other. Uh, For instance, somebody the other day told me they want to get into uh, mastering, but they haven't really gotten down, you know, proper recording or proper mixing yet. So it seems like a pretty long stretch to get into the mastering. And the reason being is that in the recording stage, a lot of these cats are... You know, up-and-coming engineers, they're starting to get better chops and everything at, a, at lower price points. Once you get to higher price points, they're people who tend to have a bit more accolades, better quality output. Um, a lot of times their recordings already sound like a rough mix or even getting closer to a final mix where it just needs minor touch-ups. Now, another factor in this is that um, depending whether you're dealing with the independent market or the commercial market, meaning that... Uh, somebody who actually has a budget from a label or from some company that's you know out there working, uh, you may find yourself finding uh, clients that can only pay twenty five an hour, and some that can pay a hundred an hour, really depending. But you also have different levels of involvement. Uh, recording engineers that work with the label a lot of times have to deal with a lot more than just showing up to the studio. Um, now, a lot of times you get better at recording and you start knowing the tools so much more that you start also understanding your clients, uh, you know, tonal character and things of that nature. You start being able to actually mix their projects down. You start getting hired to mix more. And at a certain point you start getting offers to mix, uh, more than you get, uh, for recording to the point where you may have to stop recording in order to meet all the deadlines for these mixes. And a lot of times, uh, the guys that get really good at mixing, uh, do one of two things. They either stick to mixing or they eventually branch off into mastering. And the reason this is kind of important is because once you get to the mastering stage, you're really just looking to correct and adjust other people's mixes half the time. You're not really trying to revolutionize the wheel. You're not trying to change what they have going. You're just looking for sometimes the faults. Sometimes you're looking for uh, where they did really well and what can be you know pushed a little bit further from there. But outside of that, it's uh, it's really a progressive industry in those three roles. You know, you start off as a recording engineer, you might end up as a mastering engineer. But once you get really good at mastering, uh, mixing, like a lot of times you can actually make a lot more money as a mixing engineer, but you can actually have higher turnaround rates with mastering. So, yeah. So typically speaking, to kind of overcap, um, 
all three of these positions are more in a commercial sense they're more like freelance type work you there's definitely no union for any of this sort of stuff in the commercial music nashville has a union for recording oh really yeah and for mixing did not know that i did not know that and it's only for nashville Nashville has one of the highest uh, protection, I guess, uh, for like local governance of these industries. That's why a lot of people end up moving to Nashville once they get to a certain level. I did not know that. So that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but usually outside of Nashville, there's, um, and I, I don't even, yeah, so I didn't even know that. But outside of Nashville, there's no union for this sort of stuff. This, is, this has been like a hot debate kind of thing. Um, unions are kind of like, there's some pros and cons. Um, but the point is, it's really competitive. There's much more supply of engineers than there is a demand and a need for them. So it's one of those things where, um, yeah, and just like Lou said, usually um, from from recording to mixing and sometimes to mastering, it's usually like a progressive thing in the sense that um, I think recording is the best place to start if you want to get in this industry um, and take as many gigs as you can freelance. When you're recording, it's oftentimes you get hired just because you're able to do it and you're available. With mixing, that's never going to be the case. It's They ask you and hire you to mix because they know who you are as a person. They trust you. Um, and usually mixers become mixers because they did so much recording and just built so much trust among their clientele that it was no longer feasible to to do recording and mixing or it just made them more money if they did mixing and they could do more turnaround. All right. So on that note, um, mastering is actually the, so I've never heard, sorry, let me go back. I have yet to hear of a mixing engineer that started their career only in mixing and have never done recording. That doesn't happen. Now I assume that it might happen in the near future, especially with the new generation and the glorification of mixing and like people just thinking that they can just do it, which I'm like, I'm not stopping you or anything like that. But I do think that usually the reason why that doesn't happen is because of that trust barrier. It's just so much easier to get clients for mixing if you just start off recording. Okay. Uh, the, the outlier in this, the anomaly in this is that mastering engineers is a combination of both. Uh, part of some, some mastering engineers are just like what Lou said, which is going from recording to mixing and the mastering, which is also like a general scalability factor. Um, as, as far as like entrepreneurship goes, it's just much more scalable to do way more projects as a mastering engineer and have a lot more influence over many projects versus it just takes less time to master stuff. So um, but that being said, uh, mastering specifically is the one of the three categories where it's it's much more common in, in the higher tiers of mastering to be mentored directly by a mastering, never recorded, never mixing, and then just go straight into mastering, being mentored for like de- like decades by a proper mastering engineer. Um, that's the traditional route. Now we're seeing less and less of that to be the case. Um, and more and more people coming from mixing and coming from recording or something else. We're seeing a lot of like collab- like people that do both, like they offer mixing and mastering. Um, but uh, up until recently, I would say mastering specifically was the one that you didn't have to record and didn't have to ma- uh, mix. And it, you still can find a mentor that does something like that. Um, but uh, um, yeah, but the lines are being blurred with all of these different things. There's a lot of producers that also record, mix, and master as well. And and there's like a lot of lines that are blurred, but the point is these are usually freelance positions. Um, they're very difficult to make any sort of money in, um, but they're not impossible. Uh, I would recommend, highly recommend just starting recording. 
Okay, that's kind of it within like uh, like the studio realm. Obviously, like producer, like there's songwriters, people who come in um, in the higher levels there, um, signed onto a label, and they they get assigned to go work with these people and say, hey, this person on the label is writing some music. Can you go in the room with them? And th- at that point, it's more like therapy and friendship, and just like yo, listening to the artists talk about invent different vent about different things that happen in their life and help them write lyrics about it. And um, it's it's pretty cool. It's a combination of doing pitches so like until you land something really big it's often just pitching so you're like writing these songs for free and pitching it to different management and different people that you know through personal connections uh hopefully landing it with either a label so like someone else like if you're writing a song for beyonce that's going to be different than like writing a song for like a commercial right um but you and after you've landed a like big projects then you typically get signed to some sort of management, publishing, or like label type scenario where you're now songwriting for people. Um, but either way, it's usually like back end stuff. Um, if you have a few successful hits, you'll make a lot of money for the rest of your life uh, without ever having to work another day. But um, it is quite a struggle until we get to that point. Uh, then you have producers. Producers in used to be like Quincy Jones was the type of guy who would do some arrangements, some songwriting, but he would more importantly like would uh, organize these events where he would hire out the guitar player and the drummer. He was the one that brought in the horn players for Michael Jackson and and the string players. And he was the one that kind of like organized everything. Uh, That's what it used to be. Nowadays, producer is like, again, the lines are really, really blurred here, but a producer should be able to do everything. They should be able to record. They should be able to mix. Um, but they also make beats and are able, they are, are musicians, typically speaking. Um, and uh, they're m- more involved in the creation of the music and oftentimes less involved with the songwriting and like the lyrics and melodies, although they can be. Um, that it's, it's just totally different and nowadays. Uh, in the live sound world, let's jump into the live sound world. Obviously, there's... What you do, which is uh, back of house, front of house, front of front house. Front of house. Tell me, tell us about the different live sound positions. Uh, well, I think I've worked almost every single one, to be honest. So what are they? Um, there's front of house, there's monitor world, there's rigging, and there's, uh, I guess you could say, I hate to call it, but like roadie. <laughs> but basically, um, let's start off with like roadie. If you if you're trying to be on the road and trying to get some experience working with different people, but you have no experience whatsoever, but you know how to lift the box, you can be a roadie. Um, you have riggers, people who are actually assigned to building the stage, building the actual. Uh, you know, frames to actually hold the line array speakers and different things. Like when you go to a concert and you see the big metal bars that everything's suspended on, that's what the rigger's job is. And you usually need a good license for that one. Um, Especially if you're flying the line arrays after a certain weight capacity, you need not just uh, insurance, which usually they'll call the bond, but um, you'll actually need a license to do this and the machinery for it uh, because you may be lifting a thousand to 3,000 pounds worth of speakers per side. And then the people that rig the actual frame together need to make sure that that rig actually has the capacity to hold that weight without falling on the audience or the artist. Now, do you need to have like an engineering background to be a rigger? Nope. You so this just, could be, need you could just be like, muscles. Yeah. So and patience because those are like 12 to 15 hour days. 
Mm. So you yeah. don't actually need to know how to run a console or anything like that. Nope, but a lot of times these guys tend to move forward. They want to get to that point. Ah, um, so it's some like people a just do it. Into... Yeah, some people just do it for the money because it pays really well. And there are a lot of unions for live sound, a lot of them, um, and they all take care of pretty uh, take care of people pretty well. But here's the warning: once you join a union, you can no longer do uh, your own work. If somebody tries to hire you for a front of house gig, it has to go through the union or else you will start paying fees to the union on something significantly higher than you ever will, even potentially lose your placement in the union. So that's that's the con with the union yeah. is, is that. But that being said, like, I'm not endorsing this and I won't ever say this, uh, but I will say that, like, you know, there are ways to take money under the table. <laughs> don't recommend no, no, that there at definitely all. are. Definitely but, don't uh, recommend that. Consider that the union is also providing you your work, and anybody that you built a connection there hires through the union. And if they find out that they hired somebody that's not part of the union, they can also lose their arrangement with the union. So if the if relationships the union... you built matter to you at all, stick with the union. And if the union goes on strike, then that means, like, you'll get fined or will be removed from the union and thus yep. removed from your job if you decide not to go on strike because you need the money yep like yep so if, if everybody strikes then you got to strike too or else and then you're a fired. scab yeah so it's, yeah it's crazy but yeah so you don't really need uh experience for those as far as an engineer goes but um once you get into monitor world once you actually get into system integration meaning that let's say you go to a venue that has a system but you're actually bringing in your own now you need to actually know how to wire and calibrate a line array system, tune the room. You actually need to actually uh, know how uh, different types of, uh, I guess you could say, like audio works. Uh, for instance, you can go with Maddie, you can go with Dante, uh, you can go just straight analog and run XLR cables. But that's so far in the past now that, like, why are you bringing five hundred foot snakes anywhere? It's stupid. So um, then there's front of house, which yeah. is mostly what we, we think it is, like the mixer that's... Yeah, the it. mixer that mixes for the audience and Monitor World mixes for the independent art artists and, uh, I guess, musicians. Both of them have a very similar risk factor. Um, so front of house, your main risk is the audience leaves. Um, the Monitor World is you piss off the artists and they don't want to perform, at which point the audience leaves. Um, both of them can result in really bad firings to where you may never work again if you do it bad. Um, it's, they're very high pressure. I, I refuse to do live sound, and it, it does pay pretty well, and they're quite easy. Oh, it pays great. They're relatively easy to find, especially yeah. compared to, like, studio world. Um, but it is... It is very high stress. Yeah, like your average engineer for concerts makes a minimum of fifty an hour, uh, and can go as high as like two, three thousand dollars a day, you know, for an eight-hour day. Yeah, and and even with like local small venues. So if you're not in LA or if you don't have any big venues around, you just have some local ones. Usually, there's not like a monitor specific console. So yeah, um, so both. like you do everything. You do the like I there were some venues locally that did the lights and did monitors and did front of house all on the same like board and iPad. Oh dude, I did that at one point. I used yeah. to call it the gorilla tactic. Yeah, so cuz you literally look like this. And yeah, like it's it's cra <laughs> it's crazy like um so that that does happen so just be aware of that like some of these they don't have monitors and front of house in the same like sometimes it's all just the same person. I'd yeah. be aware of that. But if this is actually a really it's it's a little bit easier again it's a little bit easier to get into i think um it is just high stress it does pay well and there are pretty consistent 
gigs now that especially now that COVID's ending and before COVID as well there was a lot of really good gigs for this um, they definitely probably offer positions like that if you're going to any sort of college um, because these college and even high schools and the and these it's not the live sound is not just for music but you can do like talking heads too where people are just talking and they need sound systems set up for conferences and whatnot so I'll be honest I think it's just as hard as the music side yeah. So the reason being, uh, just because you only need one engineer for a show, you can have uh, a touring engineer, but then that means the venue doesn't even need to provide an engineer. So half the time, the job you're looking for is already taken, and the yeah. only time it opens up is if one person retires or just needs a backup, and even then they have an assistant. Yeah. So that being said, um, I would say that it's pretty hard to freelance for live engineering. Well, I mean, like, as in, like, you, you can't you just carry venue. around your own rig. You, well, you like, you can, and like, yeah. but running a venue is a whole different thing from like doing live sound. And I would say that like, running a venue may seem cool, but personally, and, and the way that I ran a venue for a little bit, and that was probably the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, that was the most stressful and stupid thing, especially if you're running a venue for like locals and like new artists. Boy, that was the big most. Oh bullshit yeah, thing locals I've ever done always make. I'm just going to say this, honestly. If you're the local artist that makes the venue's job harder, yeah, you're a dick. <laughs> you're a dick. I know so many, so many, like, groundbreaking artists, like, veteran and not, that, like, have plaque after plaque, got Grammy after Grammy that I've worked with doing front of house or even monitor world. And they're the nicest people. They're like, okay, cool. Can I just get some of this? Okay, that's great. But every time I work with a local band, they're like, why doesn't it sound like my studio album? It's like, well, maybe if you learned how to sing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so there's uh, there's that. So that's kind of the live world, the studio world, um, and how that goes. Okay, let's go into um, some, and we're going to miss a lot of positions here. We're just kind of going over what's coming to mind here. But in the live world or in the film TV world, there's actually lots of positions for this. First off, in the music yeah. creation world, um, there's lots of composers that pitch to libraries or to these music supervisors directly. So if you're a composer or a songwriter or a producer in any sort of capacity there, um, usually the expectation of songwriters is, is the people collecting these from demos from songwriters, they want like a fully finished song. Like it's it's no longer the age of you just submit a song with acoustic guitar and a vocal hoping that they'll eventually pay for a producer to finish it out. Nah, like the expectation in the industry is as a songwriter, if you want any production on it, you better figure that out before you send it to them. Whether yeah. you do it yourself or whether what up. Uh, thank you for the cheer, Esky Bass on on uh, on Twitch. Appreciate you. Anyway, so we're gonna. Uh, um, we're going to move right into, so like with that, there's two different ways. So one way is that you can submit to a library. Um, there's many libraries out there. <laughs> Thank you again for the cheers. But there's many libraries out there that um, they'll, some libraries will like pay you in order to make an album, like an album of music of like progressive rock or whatever that they want. And then they'll pitch that for different film and TV shows. Um, oftentimes it's going to be like background music. Um, and other times, uh, people can just pitch directly to music supervisors. One tactic of doing this is you go on IMDB, look up who the music supervisor was on these different film and TV shows, and you can just find their email somehow. And, uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, so much cheers. And thanks for the tip. Uh, appreciate you. But, uh, we're, um, 
but with that, I think that it's really, really important to bring up um, this is like a hustle and uh, it can pay well. It's hard to find. It's more about connections at that point. Um, and then on top of this, um, sorry, I, I lost my train of thought. I apologize. We were talking about pitching to libraries. It could be libraries and doing yeah. supervisors. Yep. Um, outside of that as well, like if um, there's also labels. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I'm, at this point, I just have to do it. Uh, anybody listening to the podcast right now, Esky Bass, appreciate you shouting out. Um, just sent in quite a bit of tips into, <laughs> into, into the stream. Really, really appreciate y'all. Thank you for tipping the show, tipping us. Um, appreciate y'all. Uh, appreciate it, man. Hey, but um, uh, going in back into this, um, with... with um, uh, again, so like, there's another thing that you could do too. Like, there's a couple labels that I work with, a couple management companies that I work with, where they want to hear your not like background music, but they want like foreground with vocals. So they they're signing artists and bands that would sell well for placements, um, and they promote them as an artist via these placements. So it's not like making music and then the, we'll use the library to do some pitching. It's like they do the pitching and they make the library and that's how they promote the artist. So that's kind of, um, that's something that is an option as well. There's some people out there as well. And usually with those type of labels, it's, it's every company has different rules and whatnot. But from my experience, the two that I work with, they, they are allowing you to release the music on Spotify as well as release it to their library which is really really awesome sometimes it's totally exclusive where if you release it to them you can't do it you can't like put it online or you can't share it with anybody or anything like that so it's it's you're gonna just have to make sure you read the fine print um there's also fully there's there's on-site um boom dialogue operators. boom operator uh like and they're in charge of like the lav mics on like the actors and the actresses adr adr which is voiceover type stuff um, yep. Just general voiceover for like animations too. Yep, post production. Uh, my favorite one is like Foley. Like, have you ever tried Foley? Yeah, Foley is dope. Um, Foley is the. Uh, you should just look it up. Just like go on YouTube and type in Foley if you don't know what it is. F O L E Y. It's the it's the art of recording sound effects and ambience. So, for example, there's like in in animation when you hear footsteps on gravel that is literally some dude wearing boots with a microphone on some gravel in the studio and just stepping on the gravel yeah um and there's lots of awesome videos of how people can like creatively make sounds and it's very very interesting it looks like a lot of fun it pays really well i mean it's actually quite difficult like another another creative one it's like if they want the sound of breaking bones and they'll break some celery or something yeah. like that you know that's pretty classic or um, like if you wanted a laser, you can hit a slinky. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, there's also like sound design too, which ties in closely with Foley. Sound design is is a whole position in like the the movie, film, TV world, and less of a position. It's more of like something that you do <laughs> in the music yeah. world. But that's these are people like, for example, the dude that invented the lightsaber sound. The foom foom was like a yeah. sound designer and worked closely with the Foley artist. So that. That's that's super cool. Um, also, within film and TV, again, we talked about like onset dialogue capture. Um, obviously, film score and composition um, that was really big where I was from, and I know that like some people that are listening right now to the Twitch stream do that for a living. 
Um, it's kind of tough to get into, and it takes a lot of understanding of theory. It is definitely, if if you want to be a trap producer, you don't really need to understand theory, although it would only help you. It would only help you. I'm tired of people making excuses and saying, like, uh, I'm going to go out of my way to not understand theory because it's going to ruin my creative process. No, the, the, you're ignorant. You need to, it would yeah. only help you if you did that. Um, but that being said, like if you want to be a film composer, it's probably going to be really, really difficult. I won't say impossible, but really difficult unless you are very, very good at understanding compositions and classical theory. And then as well as modern theory, it's very, very difficult. Um, luckily it's mostly all MIDI. So if you know, if you're a keys player, then that's something that, then that's something that can be, uh, very useful in this world. If you are like a guitar player, um, it can still be useful, but in comp- composing, it's mostly um, doing MIDI and understanding like how orchestras work and orchestration and understanding what the ranges of the viola is, like what's their highest note and their lowest note and being able to fit all the sections into their proper parts. And then that would all go into like conducting. Like if you go into yeah. a recording session and like you'd like conduct your own scores oftentimes, which is like really cool for composers. Um, we didn't even talk about like live session playing. Yeah. Although we're mostly talking about like engineering type jobs here. I mean, just jobs in general. But yeah, I mean, even as a session player, like there's jobs for that in live and studio. Yeah. Session like musicians, like session drummers, session bass players. Yeah. What's kind of like, what differentiates, uh, uh, what makes a good session player a good session player for you? A session player that knows how to follow the direction of the artist's intent and not their own. I think that's the number one thing because I see a lot of session players that follow their own intent. They're like, well, I think it sounds better this way, but nobody asked you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, th- I do think that it's important. Like, my favorite session players are ones that are so good that they're able to understand what they mm-hmm. want and then be able to kind of add their own flair to it. No, no, no. In that's a way, great. Yeah. But another thing is to take what they want and disregard it, which uh, I've I seen see a see. lot of session players do that I never see again. Yeah. Uh, also usually session players are like, you have to be really proficient. So, um, sight reading, sight reading is usually something that's going to be very important for that position, especially at higher levels, um, in, in lower levels, lower to mid tier levels. It's going to be a lot of, um, what do you call it? Like making stuff on the spot. Uh, no, improv, yeah, yeah, improvisation. Yeah. Sorry, you, you said it first. <laughs> no, that's all good. Uh, no, uh, literally, um, cause actually, uh, went to school to learn to be a session player at first. Um, and then I fell in love with engineering that I just kind of left things behind. Um, but part of uh, what you learn in school when you're actually going to school to become a session player is uh, literally everything all the way down to how you hold the note is extremely important. It, literally, if you hear a buzz in the note, uh, you know, like uh, for a steel string player, right? If your finger even touches the next string and it buzzes out a little bit, like the producer might say it's okay, but that's actually technically improper for them. So that's actually something where a lot of session players, when you hear them boast about their b- ability to actually get the takes and everything, a lot of them are so technically great that when they play in front of you, it sounds like a record already. You can throw any mic in front of them and they'd never complain because they know it's all about the take. Yeah, and that goes into both studio, like commercial music, as well as like um, live yeah like you live gotta get the record well. like, to sound like it's the record there are musicians out there that are professionally just all they do is go on tour with yeah. these big artists and a lot of times they don't even speak the same language yeah and and it's often these times like that the person like for example i know like 
Khaled or sorry Khalid's like personal guitar player, mm-hmm. and like yeah, he does some studio work, but most of his work is just doing tour. Yeah, it's just like going on tour. So like, it seems to be a slight separation there, but not crazy separation. And then there's also like doing it for film. Like composers usually hire some session players and whatnot if they don't want to do it themselves. Um, but yeah, you're just a lot more valuable as a composer and yeah. a producer if you're able to play the instruments yourself. But that being said, it's it's also it, it's good to hire out because that's how you network as well. I mean, I've always subscribed to the old school producer mentality once you get to a certain budget, you know, because a lot of times it's like, look, you just know how to, you just have to know how to deliver. If that means you hire a session drummer, great. But whatever it takes to get to the end result you're after. Yeah, and there's so many positions within the um, there's so many different types of editing position within the film and TV world, both for like dialogue, ADR, um, uh, music editing, and putting it all together. The re-recording mixer is something what I understand is after everybody's mixed all of the dialogue and the music and the sound effects and blah, 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 and the foley and blah, 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 then the re-recording mixer takes all of those tracks and mixes the entire movie, basically, from what I understand. Yeah. And uh, I do not, I have no clue how to even get into something like that. Um, that being said, like any sort of film TV projects, um, from what I understand, from what I hear, pays really well. There's usually an editing union um, mm. or like an editor's guild, I think that's what it's called, that you have to be a part of uh, in order to work for these jobs. And that's part of like the, what they require, um, which I don't know how to get into, but I, I assume it's not that difficult to get into. Um, and lastly, lastly, they're they're known to be very boring, extremely boring. Now, if you can find joy out of this, they are a lot more structured. So you're not going to like a true creative will probably not go into film and TV engineering or production type stuff. Uh, maybe within Foley, it'll be like a little bit more creative, but it's like for those people that want to be able to do this stuff, but have a very strong sense of structure and like that, like masculine structure energy, you probably, you're going to be fine. Like you're okay doing the same T you'd rather do like my wife is the type of person who'd rather do the same consistent, tedious type of work every day and get paid for that Mm -hmm. than to be required to like think of something to come up with every single time Yeah, where I'm the opposite. Like I totally have to like. I cannot do the same mundane tasks every day. Yeah. So from my perspective, it's boring. From any creator side, from our side of the industry, it's really boring to do any of that stuff. But I'm sure, that being said, I'm sure Foley is fun and very creative. Yeah. That's one of those things that I'd love to do. One thing we did not mention is the managerial roles in our industry. Yeah, which I don't know much about, but they're definitely... To be honest, a lot of the management that come up and do really well are the people who used to be artists or, you know, technicians in their own history. Uh, for instance, like a lot of people who know how to manage uh, engineers' careers at one point were probably successful engineers themselves or around the people who actually made those decisions. So they actually understood, hey, we need to find these people. Okay, great. Well, I actually have a connection to a lot of them. So why don't I just start managing a few of them, start sending them their way? Yeah. Um, a lot of artist managers used to be an artist in the past themselves. Like uh, a good example would be Stat Quo. He himself was actually a really good artist in the past. Still is. He can still write and he does still write for a lot of people. But he ended up becoming the manager for like Keisha Cole, Game and everybody. In fact, he works very closely with like Dr. Dre and all them to this day. 
Um, but he himself used to be an artist and now he manages artists because he knows what the role of the manager is. He understands all the little intricacies that go into the industry. So a lot of people end up getting into more executive roles after their career. Yeah, and, and that's pretty common as well as like natural scalable events. Like if you're the technical, the technician doing the work, then eventually it's just going to be easier to scale and make more money with less work as a manager. Um, but we're going, we're talking as much as we can about specifically like engineering production type positions here. But yeah, management is very like along among all these things at higher levels, management is available. If you're a producer wondering how you can get management, you probably can't. Like if you make trap beats, if you make beats and you're looking for management, you won't you won't find be able to find management that's worth it uh, until you get a big placement. Yeah. Whether that's through a competition or whether that's through sheer dumb luck or through someone else, or it doesn't matter. Like nobody's interested in managing you unless you make enough money by yourself already. Yeah. Other and, genres of music tend to actually get managers pretty early on, even before their first major placement, because they hear the quality of it and they're trying to put you in the room. But a lot of times with trap music, like I've heard some of the most popular songs be the most simplistic beats that anybody could have made in their bedroom. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, often I will, I won't, I don't want to undervalue the, and underappreciate the good productions and good producers, trap producers. Uh, but that being said, yeah, it is a slightly different world. Yeah. Um, on that note, I think that's kind of it. I mean, like, this is something interesting. Interesting. Uh, I have a friend who shall not be named who did Foley work and post-production sound uh, for for pornography. And he quit that job after one day because he said it was really, really awkward. And, uh, but apparently it pays really, really well. There's every company, no matter what industry it is, even if like, oh, let, we haven't even got into the podcasting world, right? There are companies out there that often need some sort of sound or professional sound help in whatever capacity. Um, even if it's not music, they're available out there. Like podcasting right now has a lot. They're hiring a lot of people. You can go on LinkedIn and go through their like job hunting application website. I forgot what it's called, but there's a lot of stuff out there specifically for like podcast engineering and producers and like sound design for podcasts, uh, which is really interesting to see. There's so many other industries out there that are beyond the scope of music that still involve a lot of like technical engineering and need and these companies that need help. Um, I'd recommend just looking up. Uh, sound and like sound and audio jobs on these different forums where you can look for jobs. Uh, that being said, um, it's most important to find something that feels the most fulfilling to you. And if making money is more fulfilling than doing what you want, which may be the case, then if that's the case, you probably want to go into like film and TV, <laughs> you know? And if, if, if your priority is to just be creative and create, um, and money is not an issue, then keep a day job and just try to keep making music. Just keep trying. Um, all of these positions are relatively tough to get into, especially in the commercial music side of stuff. But live sound, film and TV, uh, these these are things that are a little bit much, substantially easier to get into compared to like full-time commercial music. Um, I think like we need to pull up like the full sale uh, alumni, like graduation versus job placement percentage. And the, it's like the it's real pretty one bad. or the one they promote. The real one. Yeah. And it's it's and this is not a bag on like full sale. Like the one of the best schools in the country for audio 
still has a very low job placement rate just because the the supply of engineers and people that want to make music for a living versus the demand of how much the marketplace needs music is just so disproportionate. I also feel like there's also a huge misconception when people walk into the industry. They think that because it's an engineering job that there's any kind of structure to it. Mm. And there's not. At least not in music. Yeah, so if you are a heavily structured person... And you want to get a technical job in this, don't go into music. Yeah, probably do music and film composer for like film and TV at the very least. Yeah, that's very structured, but for music, and, no. And you'll have to like structure it yourself. So on that note, uh, one of the awesome, the best tools ever for any sort of, not just for dialogue and a lot, this is like some industry standard tool software for... Um, film and TV, as well as for music, is uh, plugins from Isotope. Thank you so much for our sponsor, Isotope, for sponsoring the show. Isotope makes amazing products. They do like their RX series, mm-hmm. which is a lot of like uh, sound cleaning, sound restoration, um, can be used for like dialogue, but as well as for music, declipping, um, mm-hmm. debre- debreaths, and uh, <laughs> plosives, and and just like a bunch of like really awesome like sound editing and noise removal tools, really great stuff. Um, they have a mastering suite, ozone mixing stuff, Neutron, a vocals production suite, Nectar, and a bunch of other stuff there. So if you want ten percent off of any other products, go to isotope.com backslash mm podcast. Once again, that's isotope.com backslash mm podcast um, to get ten percent off of any of their products. Or if you want. The, traditionally, if you just go on their website, you can get a seven-day free trial for any of their products. But if you go to that link specifically, they can extend any of your um, trials to instead of seven days to a full 30 days. So um, it's best just go to that link and check that out. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much for Isotope. Um, I do use them quite often. You'll, you, you'll be using them a lot if you do anything in music or audio in general. So I'm sure that we're missing a lot of other position and a lot of other jobs and a lot of other sectors within the industry where there is so many more gigs, so many more jobs. But those are kind of like the main ones within the within different fields. Yeah. And I hope that this kind of helps you figure out what you want to do. Uh, the last thing that I want to finish off with is when we did our last interview with Jesse Ray Ernster, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we had a brief conversation about the importance of self-fulfillment Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? He said, he said, um, some people think that they need to just be a producer or niche into just being an engineer in the studio, a recording engineer, and they need to engineer and they need to niche and get really, really good at that one thing. I think, and Jesse taught, Jesse's the one that brought this up. I think that it is more important to do things that are fulfilling. And if you doing everything is more fulfilling than becoming the best at one thing, then I think that's what you should pursue. Pursue what is fulfilling to you. And if that means, and we're all different. I literally met someone a couple months ago where they have no personality and their hobby is to read manuals. Uh, they're not even into like tech and stuff like that. They just read manuals for fun. And no, not on the toilet. Just like that's, I asked them, what do you like to read? They said nonfiction. I was like, oh, like what kind of like books? And they're like, no, not books, like manuals. And there are people like that out there, and they exist in the world, right? <laughs> I do not relate to them. I don't know slightest. if I want to meet them. <laughs> like, I, I tell everybody to read the manual, but I don't literally tell them, like, read only the manual. My hobby is reading manuals about things that I, don't, I haven't even bought. Like, it's one thing to read manuals for things that you have and that yeah, you're using. Yeah. It's another thing to read manuals and you look them up online just for fun. That's crazy. Okay. Um, anyway, there are people like that out there, and they're really boring, and it blows my mind. And maybe... Th- 
maybe a music career is not for that. Right, and or maybe it is. Maybe they maybe know enough. Is. Yeah, I don't know what it is. So just do what you think is self- most fulfilling. I, I, I keep bringing this up. I think that this is much more profound than it sounds. This sounds really lame and sounds like some basic advice. And I'm, I'm sure that I could do a full episode on just this topic. We can do a full episode on just this topic. But it always comes back down to this. All you have to do is enjoy the process. If you enjoy the process, things will fall into place. Do not worry about anything else. Money will be made. The people will show up. You will do good. Just enjoy the process. You'll get better over time. That's all I could say. So any any other words that you want to? No, not really. I mean, there's so many jobs in the industry that don't get stuck in the one you don't like. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even bring up, like, Lou does, like, studio design and acoustic design. Yeah. yeah. I've I've pretty much done it all and done really well at each one of You've them done because gear I focused. Reselling. Yeah, I've just focused myself in each one as I did them. I didn't try to do everything at one time. And yeah. Software development. Blah blah. Anyway, we're yeah. we're getting into tangents here. So I was a porn a star at one point. What the that's not true. That is true. College. Great times. Wait, really? No. <laughs> oh, I was like, oh my. Yes. Uh, <laughs> on that note, uh, but I could see myself doing that. Yeah. On that note, thank you so much for. <laughs> <laughs> we can't end the episode like that. Yes, you can. <laughs> you can because it's the total plot twist. We're talking about jobs in the industry. This is entertainment. I want to. Oh, oh, that's another thing. I do. You know what I do? I sell. If you're looking, if I've never yeah. talked about this on the podcast, I write children's books yep if you're interested if you have nieces and nephews or if you have kids by yourselves <laughs> if you have kids if you have kids <laughs> yourself then you could go to my website uh dkandkayako.com d-e-e-k-e-i and a-n-d kayako k-a-y-a-k-o kayako.com dkandkayako.com um we give away digital copies of our children's books we have two available right now three technically because we have the first two and then the first one's also a version in japanese um and each of the books inside the books the words in the books are also lyrics to a song so like i write children's music right and there's a whole industry there too and if you want to look into that, I'm really passionate about that as well. I, we're, we're about to release our third one there. I will let you all know. I've never promoted that on the podcast. I keep forgetting no. to do that. Uh, so if you want to check those out or ask me about it, you can just DM me on, on, on Instagram, and I'll give you a link to these books that you can download for totally for free. So on that note, um, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. One, two, three. <laughs>